following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. 2 Chronicles 14. 2 Chronicles 14. So we, uh, we finished Romans chapter 8 last Sunday, and uh, of course if you know Romans, you know that the next chapter is the one where probably get a few tomatoes thrown in my face, but uh, anyway, that's the challenging one. But we're going to take, take a break for today and um, revisit our theme for the year, uh, Transforming Faith, and, um, and look at a wonderful story this morning. And so uh, you can see there where it's at in the Pew Bible, if you want to use one, there's a few of those scattered around. Uh, but, but our theme for this year is Transforming Faith, as you can see on the screen, and, and if you're new or you don't recall... Uh, we are emphasizing this year the fact that God doesn't want us to just talk the talk of Christianity. He wants us to grow a life-transforming faith that changes how I see the world, how I think, what I value, and ultimately a faith in God that drives us to live radically different lives from the unbelievers who are around us. And that, that kind of faith, that sees God as He is, is vital to a healthy Christian life. And so one of the Bible's highest priorities is, in fact, to cultivate that kind of transforming faith. And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't just tell us, believe God, have faith. It actually gives us a number of stories that that describe for us, on the one hand, there's a number of encouraging stories that that give us images of what it means to trust God and and how God is faithful to people who trust Him. And then it also gives us some very sobering examples of people whose faith wavered under pressure and they endured the consequences of doing so. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at the life of King Asa. And uh, because he is an example, really, of both. So at the beginning of his life, he, he took some incredible steps of faith. And, and God did some incredible things for this man as a result. But then, towards the end of his life, his faith wavered. And he made some very poor decisions and reaped the consequences. So, so, so today, let's jump into this fascinating life, this fascinating character. And, and we're going to, uh, first of all, uh, look at uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 14. We're going to cover three chapters today, which you might think is impossible for me to do. We're going to do this quickly. Chapter 14, let's read verses 1 through 8. It says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no war, no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, Let us build these cities, and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars, The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him. 
and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now to appreciate this story, we, we have to set it in its historical context. So remember that after King Solomon died, uh, Israel was divided into two nations. And you can see that represented up here on the map. And, and so you probably know that the ten northern tribes uh, that are represented here in yellow, they kept the name Israel. And then Judah and Benjamin kept the name Judah. And they were down here in the south. And that's where the, the kings from the line of David uh, continued to reign. And, uh, and, and so that was a traumatic experience, right? The nation was cut in two. And... Um, and they two nations became very bitter rivals. And, and on top of that, Asa is only the third of the, Judah, of the kings of Judah. So you can see his name right here. He's only the third of these kings that come after this very traumatic split. And so his nation, when, when he becomes king, the, the nation of Judah is only 20 years old. And so I'm sure that the people are still reeling from this traumatic split and on top of that, his two predecessors, Rehoboam and Abijah, I'm not sure if you can read those names up there, but, but those two kings were both very ungodly. 1 Kings 14.22 says, Rehoboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. And 1 Kings 15.3 says that Abijah walked in all the sins of his father. So, so, the Israel, so Israel had endured 20 years of, of terrible leadership, and frankly, the last few years of Solomon's reign were pretty bad too because Solomon really did not end well and by the time he died, his heart was divided and serving all sorts of gods. And so Asa inherited a spiritual mess. Judah was far from what God designed it to be. And on top of that, Asa was probably a pretty young man when he became king. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how old he was, but his father only reigned for three years. And so Asa was maybe, you know, let's say somewhere around 20 years old, 21 years old, 22, probably somewhere in that kind of range. He's not a seasoned man, he's a younger man. And so he stepped into a very difficult situation. And yet by the grace of God, <clears throat> he was determined to turn the tide. Verse 2 says that he did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. And he got to work. Almost immediately, driving idolatry out of the land. We read about how he destroyed pagan altars and places of worship. And verse 4 says, He commanded the people to seek the Lord their God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. Now we might read that, you know, this side of history, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and say, well, of course he would do that. Why, why wouldn't he drive out all of that idolatry? That's what God said to do. But we have to remember that people don't generally respond gladly when you start taking away their religious symbols, their places of worship, their religious practices. There were probably a lot of people who were angry and very, very hostile towards these reforms. And yet Asa pressed forward because idolatry is reprehensible to God. And God had clearly told Israel, we don't have time to read it, but but he had commanded them that, that at the very sniff of idolatry, they were to get rid of it. They were to drive it out of the land. It was to have no place among them. 
And so, well, I'm sure there were lots of people who were angry at Asa for what he was doing. God was pleased. And the, the text tells us that he blessed Asa with ten years of peace. And Asa recognized what God was doing. Again, he says in verse 7, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. And so I appreciate Asa's awareness there. Now sometimes we are so stuck in our world so stuck in our priorities, our goals, our frustrations with life, that, that we, we fail to see God's hand. We, we fail to see God's blessing, what He is accomplishing in the world. And, and we don't capitalize on the opportunities that God puts in front of us. And, and, and so we see here that Asa had the vision to recognize what God was doing, how God was working, how He was blessing, and, and he capitalized on the opportunity. I think that's a good challenge for us. You know, that that we need to have vision to to see what God is accomplishing, to see the opportunities that He puts in front of us, particularly for ministry and and spiritual impact, and take those things. And that's what Asa did. You know, not only did he tear down idols, the the text tells us here that he built fortifications. Now, now to us, that might sound very very self-serving, but we have to remember that, 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 Jude, that he is a Davidic king, and Judah is the people of God. And so, and so Israel being strong, uh, Judah being strong, was not just serving the people, it glorified God, because it demonstrated God's hand and God's blessing on them. So Asa obeyed, God blessed, he continued to obey, and God continued to be faithful. Now, what we don't want to do is look at this and say, well, hey, If I obey God, then God's going to let me build forts and make my life peaceful and take away all my problems, right? Because the Bible is very clear that oftentimes the people who have served God most faithfully have suffered most egregiously. But in the grand scheme of things, even if God doesn't take away all your problems, even if suffering for, or even if obeying Him actually leads to more suffering, God's way is always the best. You can never improve on God's will for your life. So compromise, laziness. You know, I mean, Asa could have cut some corners here, you know, found a way to kind of placate the idolaters and and still, you know, made himself feel like he was being faithful to God. I mean, that might feel good and seem right in the short term, but in the grand scheme of things, it will never benefit in the end. So, so, so the challenge here for us is to be like Asa. And take a bold and uncompromising stand for God's truth. And seize every opportunity He gives you to serve Him and to make an impact. And watch God be faithful. So Asa's first ten years went about as well as they possibly could. He had peace. He had prosperity. The, the, the reforms were taking place. They were building fortifications. They were prospering. And I'm sure there were challenges. But he trusted the Lord, and God was faithful. But of course, seasons of blessing only last so long, because at some point, we need hardship. We, we, need, we need to be tested to renew our dependence on God. And so after 10 years of peace, the, next, the rest of chapter 14 tells us that Asa faced a major test And he won a mighty victory. So so let's read on 
in verse 9. It says, Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathath and Marisha. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And so the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army, and they carried away very much plunder. And they destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them, and they despoiled all the cities for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels, and then they returned to Jerusalem. So this passage tells us uh, about uh, uh, Asa's first major military conflict. And it is a big one, right? And so we don't know exactly who this guy Zerah the Ethiopian is, and how it was that he was able to muster such a massive force. I mean, the, the simplest and most likely explanation is that, is that Egypt all, all ultimately stood behind this force, that probably the Egyptians had, had hired a bunch of Ethiopians and, and equipped them to go up and to fight against Israel. And that makes a lot of sense uh, because the, the pharaoh at the time was named Asorkin I. And the previous pharaoh had attacked Judah during the reign of Rehoboam. And, and he won a major victory. He plundered Jerusalem and carried away a lot of the riches that Solomon had accumulated. And so Asorkin the first thinks, man, I'm going to go do that again. That was pretty good the first time. And so most likely he, he, he recruits Zerah and this Ethiopian force, and he sends them all the way up to Marisha. Now, I got it on the map here, and I don't know if you can see this or not, but Marisha is right here. Jerusalem is right here. So there's only about 25 miles between where this force is at and the capital city. And, um, and verse 9 literally reads that he had a thousand thousands with him. Now, which, which comes out to a million. Uh, it's worth noting that the word thousands can also mean regiments. So, you know, I, I doubt that anyone stood there and like counted the, the individuals and came to a million. So, so we don't know... You know, exactly, as this might be around, it's probably a round number of some sort, but regardless, this is a massive force. And the clear intent of, of the chronicler is to say that Asa faced overwhelming odds. And so just imagine Asa. He's standing on this hillside, looking down at this sea of soldiers. You know, massive force. And it wasn't just a huge army. The text tells us that they were very well equipped. They had 300 chariots, which were essentially the tanks of the ancient world. And it was a terrifying sight. I mean, Ace is looking down, he's like, there is no way we can beat these guys. And so it would have been very tempting for him to decide, well, we need to bargain for peace. And that's what a lot of kings did in this situation. So 
So let's go out, and we don't want a conflict, so, so we'll pay you. you. You can come into Jerusalem, you can have what you want, we'll, we'll agree to pay some kind of tax, and, and we'll all be happy, and you can go away, and, and we'll all be safe, as will our women and children. And I'm sure that there were a few nervous generals, you know, right there in Ace's ear, like, guy, you got to go talk to them. We, we can't fight these guys. If we go out there, we are going to get crushed. Our women and children are going to get crushed. You've you got to come up with some sort of terms of peace. And it would be really tempting, wouldn't it? And it's scary to think about fighting this kind of force. But, but Asa understood that if he went out there and compromised with these, with these pagans, that he would be rebelling against God. Because God had made it very clear that he would fight Israel's battles as they trusted him. And, and that they were to stand and they were to glorify him by trusting him and going into battle in the strength of the Lord. Every war that Israel fought was ultimately considered a holy war. So Asa's got two options. The comfortable option is to seek peace. And to hope that God will understand and he'll see that there's no way he could win and God will be gracious. Or the radical option was to fight and trust that God would deliver. Now, if you were in Asa's shoes, which option would you choose? What would you do? I mean, you're looking out at the armies of Mordor, so to speak, and, and you've got no hope. So, so what are you going to do? Well, to the dismay of Asa's nervous generals, Asa begins to pray. And look again at his incredible prayer in verse 11. He says, Lord... There is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. It's an incredible prayer. I mean, that, that is the transforming faith that we've been talking about this year. I mean, he declares that God is sovereign and he is strong and that he is absolutely dependent on him. And he says, God, you are my only hope of victory. And so he prays, God, glorify yourself by giving us this victory and, and, and be with us, strengthen us to do what you alone can do. And he finishes his prayer. And you can imagine that he yells, Charge! You know, to the dismay of all of his generals who, who don't want to go into this battle, and down the hill, all of his men go. Now, now all of us love a good war story, right? Like, I mean, people love war stories, and so we would love to know the details of the battle. Like, like who did something valiant? How, how in the world did they beat these chariots? You know, who did something brilliant and strong and courageous? Man, we would love to know some of the details of this battle. But you know what? God doesn't give us a single one does he? Now, all he says in verse 12 is the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. Because that's the only thing that really matters. What matters is not what the people did. What matters is what God did. God won the victory. And so Judah's weapons, their skill, their strategy, their courage, that's not what did it. It was the Lord. And God didn't just give them the victory. The text tells us that he gave them a crushing victory. I mean, they're, they're overwhelmed with the power uh, that, that's being exerted. And so the text tells us the Ethiopians, they, they panic. They begin to scatter everywhere. And many, many of them are dying. And, and so the Israelites attack them. They crush them. 
They crushed the Ethiopians. The text says they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And just imagine Asaph standing up on that hillside watching all of this unfold. I mean, what a sight. And again, this is probably his first major test as commander-in-chief. And he made a radical, potentially very unpopular choice. But by faith, Asa had a grand vision in the power of God. I mean, he knew that a million men and 300 chariots were nothing compared to sovereign glory. And, and so Asa said, so he obeyed the Lord. He took a radical step of faith and against impossible odds, and God was faithful. So I wonder, what challenge does it take for you to compromise your faith? How much pressure does Satan have to put on you before your convictions, your courage, your confidence in the Lord fade away and you start to take matters into your own hands? Now, how quick are you to say, I can't trust God with this. I mean, I'll trust God with this over here, but but this one, this is too big of a deal. I have to solve this myself. And how do you see your problems? Are all of your problems huge? Or do you see a grand, glorious, mighty God who is bigger than all of them? Now, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please the Lord. You cannot be a strong Christian and live like a practical atheist. Where, where, where you really live like everyone else You just call yourself a Christian. No, we have to have transforming faith that that inspires radical obedience and radical faithfulness. And so as we look at Asa here, we should all be challenged to follow his example. It's a relatively simple example. I mean, he takes what the Bible says about who God is and what God expects from his people, and he believes it, and he acts on it. Well, what an incredible moment. And Asa and his men, they win an awesome victory. The text tells us that they collect all sorts of spoils from this victory. And you can imagine them all marching home to Jerusalem. Man, their hands are full of stuff. You know, they've got sheep and livestock behind them and gold and all sorts of things in their hands. And their hearts are full. They are amazed at the victory that God had given. And that brings us to chapter 15 which I'm going to call Ace's Secondary Reforms. And so let's read chapter 15. It's the longest of the chapters. It says, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought Him and He let them find Him. In those days there was no peace to Him who went out or to Him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you, be strong. And do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. 
Now, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Obed, the prophet, spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord which was in front of the porch of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who resided with them, for many defected to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. And they sacrificed to the Lord that day 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. He also removed Maacah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kedron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So, so the text tells us here that, that sometime after Asa's victory, probably uh, relatively quickly, that the prophet Azariah comes to encourage Asa. And in his message here, really is one of the central themes of the book of Chronicles, of First and Second Chronicles. And it's a theme that that's oftentimes theologians call it retribution theology, and it's a really simple concept. God blesses obedience, God judges disobedience. And that's a really important theme. If you read through Chronicles, uh, the, the, the author emphasizes that concept over and over. And, and so the person of faith is far more concerned with the smile of God than he is with worldly cares. He believes by faith that God's blessing or curse matters a whole lot more than my ability to create problems or solve them. And Azariah challenges Asa to be that man. He says, be strong and do not lose courage for there is a great reward for your work. And that's a good challenge for all of us. Because you know, sometimes we make obedience so complicated. We make the life of faith so much more difficult than it should be. You know, don't complicate your obedience in your ministry with human fears, human cares, human distractions. I mean, trust in God. Be strong. Be courageous. And when you see God's will, pursue it. And that's what Asa did. He responded to Azariah's challenge, and, and the text tells us that he continued many of the reforms that he had already begun throughout all of Judah and Benjamin. And, and in fact, verse 8 even adds that, that he was, went up into the tribe of Ephraim and began reforms there. Now, now the tribe of Ephraim was directly north of Judah, and, um, and it was part of the, of the northern kingdom. And uh, 1 Kings tells us that, that Asa and Israel's king Baasha were at war during this time. And so probably what happened is in these wars, Asa seized some of the land of Ephraim. And he immediately went up there and went to work to to eradicate idolatry from the land and to 
institute the the right worship of God. And beyond that, verse 9 says that that people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, that they all defected to Asa. So, So they come down from the northern kingdom because they see what God is doing in Judah. Or they see that this man is being faithful to God and God is blessing his faithfulness. And so Asa's influence didn't just extend throughout his own nation. It is extending up into the northern kingdom as well. I mean, God is doing great things. And God used his courage to make a broad impact. And it all climaxes with a huge assembly in the 15th year of his reign. Now, now nothing like this has probably happened in years. Or probably since the first years of Solomon's reign. And so they come together, probably during one of the pilgrimage feasts, and they make a bold covenant to seek God, to purge idolatry from the land. And and, and notice that this isn't just Asa like forcing his hand on the people. I mean, verse 15 says, "All All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave rest on every side. So God brought about a tremendous revival in Israel. Something that 20 years earlier probably looked like it was impossible. And it all began with Asa's courageous faith in the Lord and his bold obedience. And God used one young man's courage and faith to transform a nation. Now, I doubt that anyone in this room will ever have that opportunity. You know, that you are going to transform America by yourself, all right? But what might God do through you? What might God do in your life and through your life if you just commit to have the faith, the courage, the obedience that Asa reflects here? I mean, you might never be rich, You may never have the kind of broad impact that Asa had. Your problems probably won't evaporate immediately. But I promise you that God will be faithful. And radical faith always makes a dramatic impact on other people. I mean, it is impactful to be around people who just trust God and obey. So so what might God do through you if, if you... Just decide, by the grace of God, to live with this simple confidence, this simple commitment to obey God, to do what He says, to go after ministry, to reach people with the gospel, to to make disciples for Christ. What could God do if you have the radical faith of Asa? I mean, God does incredible things here. So, So the first 15 years of Asa's reign, they go incredibly well, right? I mean, he wins this awesome victory. The nation is prospering. There's revival. Everything is going incredibly well. Asa is walking with the Lord. But starting well never guarantees that we finish well. And sadly, Asa did not finish well. And chapter 16 describes a disappointing end. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord 
and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his army against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building, and with them he fortified Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubin an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and of Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the resting place, which he had filled with spices of various kinds, blended by the perfumer's art. And they made a very great fire for him. Now, I have to mention as we begin this chapter 16 that that there is a a chronological conflict between what Chronicles says and 1 Kings. Because 1 Kings 16 says that Baasha died in the 26th year of Asa's reign. All right? But Chronicles says that in Asa's 36th year, they're at war with each other. So, So we have to think about how do we resolve that? And there's a couple of different ideas uh, that have been thrown out there. I think uh, probably the, the most likely solution is that the word that's translated reign can also mean kingdom. So if, you, if this 36 years is actually going from the beginning of the kingdom of Judah, that would take it to the 16th year of Asa's reign. And so probably during the 16th year of his reign, this, this second conflict breaks out just just a year after this huge gathering that they had had in Jerusalem and and so remember then that just a year earlier a bunch of people thousands of people had gathered in Jerusalem they'd made this covenant to serve the Lord God was doing great things and and part of that incredible assembly was that a number of people from the northern kingdom had traveled down to Jerusalem to worship God now that is exactly what the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, had feared would happen, right? He feared that, that, that once they split, that his people would continue to travel down to Jerusalem to worship God, and if they did that, their loyalty would switch from him to the Davidic king. And so he had set up these idols, these 
other places of worshiping Yahweh in, at the south and the north end of Israel to keep them from going to Jerusalem. But now, they were still going to Jerusalem anyway. And Baasha, he cannot have that. And so what he does is he builds this fortification at Ramah. And, um, and, and, and when, when, when Asa gets word about that, he is extremely nervous. That's because the city of Ramah was only five or six miles north of Jerusalem. That's not very far away. And it was also on the main highway coming down into Jerusalem. So, so if this fortification is built up, it's going to cut off trade. It's going to cost Judah a lot of profit because this trade is cut off. And as well, it does not take long to attack from five or six miles away. So Asa is very nervous. And what is he going to do? Well, remember, you know, that God had, had blessed Asa abundantly. And it wasn't that long ago, I mean, maybe just, maybe just within the last couple of years, that, that God had given him that incredible victory over Zerah. It wasn't that long ago. And, and so, God, had, he had trusted God, and God had done great things. I mean, God had delivered an army that was far, far bigger than anything Baasha could have mustered. I mean, there's no way that, that Baasha is going to be able to get together the army that, that Zerah had had. He had trusted God and God had blessed. You know, but sometimes, sometimes we, we don't have that hard of a time trusting God when we have nowhere else to turn, right? Like, there's no other solution. The only thing I can do is trust God. And so we trust Him. We depend on Him in those moments. But when a problem comes along that I think I can solve, I've got this. Well, all of a sudden, we oftentimes have a much harder time relying on the Lord. Now I want to do it my way. I want to solve it my way. I want to get the glory for doing this myself. And that's what Asa does here. And so the text tells us that he robs the temple and he sends a large gift from the temple up to uh, Aram or Syria, which is to the north and the east of, of Israel. And he tells Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, to break his treaty with Israel. And, uh, and he urges him then to attack some of the northeastern cities of Israel. And um, that's his plan. And we have to recognize that that is an absolutely wicked request on the part of Asa. For one, he's telling Baasha to break his treaty with, with Israel. And secondly, I mean, even though Asa and, and Baasha are enemies, the northern kingdom is still the people of God. He is paying a pagan king to attack God's people and to seize part of the territory that God had given to the people of God. It's a terrible request, a disobedient request. And so that's what he does. He, he pays this pagan king to conquer God's people and take their land. And, and it's, a, it's a bad idea. It's a horrible idea. But Asa apparently is feeling pretty good about himself. He's feeling proud. He's feeling capable. He thinks he has a great idea. He wants to fix this one his way. Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me. You know, this one. You know, I, I need God for this one. 
but I got this one. I, I don't need God. God will understand if I do it my way. And it worked, right? Ben-Hadad agrees to Asa's request and, and he attacks. And, and the text tells us that he seizes a, a pretty good chunk of territory uh, up in the far northern part of, of the kingdom. He takes away the, this land and, and Baasha, he hears about it. He's building down at the far south of his kingdom. He hears about what's happening in the northeast. And so he has no choice but, but to abandon the project at Ramah, to go north and, and to defend his territory. And so Asa has solved his problem. And not just that, the text tells us that when he abandoned the project, Asa went up and he took all the materials, the building supplies that, that, that Baasha had, had, had accumulated, and he uses them to build two of his own forts. And so it worked. What a plan. You know, and I'm sure Asa, man, he's feeling good about himself, right? He's feeling good. Man, man I won this victory. You know, and people are probably walking around Jerusalem saying, man, did you hear what Asa did? I mean, what, what, a, what a great king. What a powerful leader. We didn't even have to go to war. He, he solved that problem. Man, what, what a great king we have. But God was not impressed. And he sends another prophet, this time Hanani, to Asa. But this time, he doesn't come to encourage him. He comes to confront him. And Hanani uh, confronts him over the fact that he chose to rely on the king of Syria instead of relying on God. And he says, Asa, this was utterly foolish. Because God has already shown that he will give you the victory. Look look again at what he says in verse 8. He says, Asa, were not the Ethiopians and the Lubin an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He says, Asa, God would have done the same thing again. And it wouldn't have cost you anything. He would have, and, and, he do, and he doesn't just say that he would have done it again. He actually says that God would not have just defended you. He would have given you the kingdom of Syria. Now, now that's not something that even entered Asa's mind. That he would not just defeat Israel, but also defeat Syria. I mean, it was, I mean that would have been a massive victory. And it was so big that Asa didn't even consider it. And so what he thought was a tremendous victory was nothing compared to what God had intended to do. And and I love how verse 9 pictures God's generosity. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. That's so good because God does not relish making us miserable. Right? No, God is generous and And that verse pictures God as as looking over the whole earth and and He is looking for people, He he says, whose heart is completely His. And and because when He finds these people, He wants to glorify His grace by showering blessing upon them. Folks, God does not relish our misery. He loves to bless His people. He loves to glorify Himself by demonstrating His grace. So make sure that your heart is completely His. You know, don't live your life hedging your bets. You know, say, well, well, I'm going to trust God, but I'm also going to make sure I've got it all figured out myself. Even at the compromise of obedience. I'm not saying be foolish. But, but don't, ha- don't hedge your bets. Don't have a divided heart. 
You know, don't only rely on God when you have no other choice or when it's convenient to do so. No, walk by faith at all times because all of your life belongs to Him. Now again, God probably won't make you rich. He probably won't solve all your problems. But who knows what God might do? He is generous. He is good. And, and whatever He does, it will be good. So trust the Lord. Live with a radical, life-transforming faith. Well, sadly, Asa failed. And Hannah and I warned him that the consequence of his failure would be that he would endure wars. And so the peace that he had endured through the first part of his reign, that was over. He was going to be in conflict the rest of his time. And, and, and you would think, considering how faithfully Asa had served the Lord, that, that he would hear this prophecy of Hannah and I, and he would fall on his knees, and he would repent and say, you are right, I am wrong, God, please forgive me. But tragically, he does not. I mean, what does the text say? It says, he was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him for this, and he oppressed some of the people at the same time. And that is very sobering because I mean, pride and self-deception had so overwhelmed his heart that, that instead of being angry at his sin, he is angry at Hanani for confronting his sin. And he puts him in prison. In fact, the text says he doesn't just put Hanani in prison. It says he oppressed some of the people, probably people who had stood by Hanani and had confronted Asa's evil. And folks, this is the first recorded instance in Scripture of a prophet of God being persecuted. And who does it? The godly Davidic king, Asa. What a horrible fall. What a tragic turn of his heart. And sadly, he never recovered. Verse 12 says that during the 39th year of his reign, he contracted some kind of miserable foot disease. We, we don't know what this foot disease was exactly. But he's got this horrible foot disease. And, and yet, what does the text say? It says that, that even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, of course, the issue there is not that it's wrong to go to a doctor or something of that, of that effect. That's not the point. The issue is, is that he never humbled himself before the Lord. He never relied on God again. His heart remained hard and cold and bitter until ultimately he died. And so Asa's story should serve as a sober warning for all of us. That just because you begin the Christian life well does not guarantee that you will finish it well. You know, and past faithfulness to God does not buy you credit to go and do your own thing later on. And so we need to be careful. Now, you can't retire from the godliness of life or the life of faith. No, you have to continue to the end. And yet people try to retire from godliness all the time. You know, it happens often where, where you know, someone is young and poor and they've got no other choice but to rely on God because they've got nothing and, and they don't have any answers. You know, maybe they go through, maybe someone goes through some major trial, and, and again, they've got no choice but to trust God. But then the trial ends, life becomes more secure. Maybe there's a little more money in the bank account, 
They feel pretty good about what they're doing for themselves. And now they've got money to go out and do some fun things and, you know, build up some hobbies and do some, you know, do some great things. And they're feeling better and better about themselves. And all those hobbies, all those things begin to to distract their hearts, to divide their hearts. They no longer feel dependent on God and their heart strays further and further and further from God. And we could tell story after story of that. And so God warns us in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You know, Christian, no matter how God blesses you, never outgrow your dependence on God. You need Him. You know, and don't ever push away a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ who comes and points out your, your sin. You know, if a brother or sister comes to you and says, you know, this is concerning, I, I, this, this doesn't look good, and your response is hostility, then now it's to scare you to death. No, we need to always cultivate a tender heart. You need to watch your heart with all diligence. And instead, live with a life-transforming, radical faith in the Lord. Because that's how you please God. That's how you glorify God. And as you do that, God will be faithful. You cannot improve on God's will. The eyes of the Lord run throughout the whole earth, searching for ways to show Himself strong. So rely on the Lord. Seek Him with all your heart. Let's pray. God, thank You for the story of Asa and for all that we can learn from it. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that, God, we would grow the life-transforming faith that, that He exhibited in His early years. Help us to obey You and trust You and do all that You have called us to do faithfully day after day after day. And oh God, guard our hearts from the hardness, the pride, the self-dependence that, that ruined Asa in the end. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to rely on you. Help us to walk by faith. And God, I pray that you'd use us to make a dramatic impact on those around us as we do so. Use us to reach people for the sake of the gospel. Use us to make disciples. Use us to to plant churches and to see missions advance. God, who knows what you might accomplish as we are faithful, as we trust you, and as we just walk by faith. And so give us grace to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.